place where you can feel uh, free to struggle, to have fears, doubts, not everything, everything figured out, and come to this and hear from Jesus. And Jesus looks at us, He tells us the truth, He bids our anxious fears goodbye, and He does so often when He looks at the people He loves, crowds He cares about, He wants them to know God, His Father, so desperately that He communicates to us in a manner that that connects really well with us, which is oftentimes stories. He tells these small little stories that we can all relate to, and He packs a big punch a great big punch in every little story he tells. And so all semester, we believe in going through books of the Bible. This semester we've elected to go through the Gospels and highlight the stories that Jesus tells. So we really want you to hear from God's Word. Uh, and each week we'll, we'll open it up to you, and we want you to know we, are, we take this very seriously and we like to have a lot of fun doing it, and we hope that it really applies to you. And so with that said, let me just pray before we read the Scripture this, this, uh, this evening. Let's Will you all pray with me? Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we desperately need to hear from you. Um, Many of us um, have grown up in church. Some of us have never stepped uh, foot in a church. Um, Some of us are very familiar with you through many different means of hearing about you. And we we know your your Bible a little bit. Uh, Some of us do not own a Bible. And, And both ends of that pendulum or that extreme, we pray that you'd meet all of us where we are. As we read these words, would you speak to us? Would you give us uh, ears to hear it when it's read and and eyes to see it uh, and and a heart and a mind that really do imagine uh, what it tells us? Would your spirit help us understand these profound truths about your kingdom and your love for us? And, and our great need of you, and convince us of these things, we pray, for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So our text tonight is called, it's called the parable of the mustard seed. It's a very short, very short story, and it's in, found in Matthew 13, 31-32. If you have a handout in front of you, it's on your sheet. Hear with me the word of God. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This is the word of God. Now, as we're looking at this text, I want you to... To think about your own life and the way and your proclivity, your temperament, and when you're thinking about your exam schedules, your, you know, when you get a syllabus every semester, the beginning of the semester, what do you, what do you do? Are you a planner or are you a procrastinator? When you get that that syllabus, are you just figuring out how are you gonna get it all done? Or are you one of these people who thinks, well, I'm gonna, I'll get to it eventually, you know, and I'll, I'll come through at the end and, and I'll you know put forth a lot of effort. And just knock it out of the park at the end. Which do you do? How many of y'all are planners? Raise your hand. Okay, a few. How many would you would you call yourselves more like procrastinators? Okay, yeah. I've found myself being more of a procrastinator throughout life, and I'm trying to become more of a planner 
for the sake of other people, actually. Uh, it, 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 but no, no matter where you fall on it, we all come up with strategies to get things done. Why would we have any kind of strategy to get anything done, you might ask? Well, I feel like we have a desire for significance. We want to get our, our work done so we can get that job, we can get uh, the, the right grade point average. Uh, we, want to get, we want to meet somebody and get married. We, we have a lot of goals in life, and we want to get there. And so we do things, we come up with strategies to get things done in light of that. But we're always looking for an easier way, an easier way to get it done. Um, there's usually, uh, we're always looking for an app for that. Something, we, if we need something done, we'll find an app to get it done for us. Um, and sometimes we, we, we want that miracle product to clear up our skin. You know, there's that next thing we can buy. Um, you know, if you have Twitter, um, I'm always bombarded with, with tweets that say, lose 30 pounds in 30 minutes. You know, like, so like, it's like these high, like these great big, you know, unrealistic plans that no, they're never going to work for anybody. We're like, man, I'd like to lose some weight, so let's, let's get on that. You know, um, you know, before there was Twitter, there were like cable commercials at night, like 2 a.m. that would be like infomercials for like eight-minute abs, you know, things like that. You know, like that. so like, oh, I'm at two, 2 in the morning eating pizza, but I really want some good abs, so I think I'll get this, and I'll do it. Um, so, you know, we think, you know, that things are going to work out for us easily. Um, you know, we're just going to fall in love someday, get married, and live happily ever after. And then we'll find ourselves to be significant. Uh, after all, according to our emails, there are literally hundreds of people near us wanting to meet us <laughs> at their computers right now, waiting to meet you. Uh huh. It's super easy, right? Give them your credit card number. Let them, they'll, 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 they will. They will give them your email. Give them your contact information. They're waiting there for you, right? You can have your pick, and they'll give you an Xbox, and they will help you lose weight. People want to meet you, right? They can't wait. It's super easy. Now, in the Bible days, the people that Jesus was looking in the eye and telling the story to wanted revolutionary changes now. They were just as impatient as you and I are. They wanted to get things done. What they were very excited about was Jesus was here and he was going to bring about the kingdom. And so he, when he announces the kingdom, they, had, they were very familiar with their Bibles, and they took a lot of passages about the Messiah and applied them to Jesus, but they applied them a lot of out of, pretty much out of context in a lot of ways. They think Jesus is going to get here and he's going to defeat all their enemies. He's going to take Rome down. But that was not really the point at all. The point was there's going to be a big victory over the devil and over sin and over death. Even death was going to be overcome through Jesus. And their sin that separates them from God is going to be no more. They're going to be in communion with the Father and the great enemy who's, who brought in this chaos and disharmony into our world is going to be destroyed by Jesus. Jesus is going to set things right between God and His people. And, and so today even, religion is even hijacked by terrible people, TV preachers, who wickedly promise miracles now for money. Like say, so you send me money and, and help me buy my new airplane for a ministry, and I will guarantee you a miracle. I will, it'll change your life. False promises about now, now, now if you just had this, if you have this faith and you give, then, then we will hook you up. 
We'd love some life hacks like that, just if it was that easy. Some shortcuts or some cheap cheat codes, maybe, uh, where my gamer's at, right? There's a few of you here. Uh, life's not like a video game, of course. There's no cheat code. Um, the results are never that easy. It's so we like video games. You kind of put in you know, the effort, and you can get there. You can you know, save the princess and do all that kind of thing. Uh, but um, it takes hard work, generally, to, to get anywhere in life, right? You don't see instantaneous results. There's no cheat. And so in the context of this story we read tonight, Jesus brought with him expectations that were great of this immediate victory. Immediate things are going to just be wonderful, and there's going to be a dramatic change. After all, I think the crowd was entitled to have a little bit of expectation when they're looking at Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus' birth, first of all, was attended by angels. Okay, that's a big deal. And then when he, when he enters into his ministry, I mean, just prior to this chapter, chapter 12, he healed a guy who was basically missing a hand. And that's a big deal. That's a big party trick, isn't it? To be able to do that. Um, chapter 9, he healed blind men. Not just one blind man, but two blind men. Uh, also in that chapter, he healed a woman with chronic, lifelong bleeding. He also, in that same chapter, took a paralyzed man and made him walk. That's a big deal. And oh yeah, he just raised a girl from the dead. Okay, they were very, I mean, I think they had... Pretty, pretty good reason to think he could do a lot of things. He'd healed people from leprosy. He cast out demons. He stopped a storm with a word. Jesus could reverse things in a second. In fact, he was about to feed 5,000 people with simply five loaves of bread and two fish in the next three chapter. So great expectations ought to be pretty justified about what this kingdom is going to mean for them. Uh, so the miracles, though... Um, I think, well-served their purpose theologically. And we can talk more about those if you have questions. But Jesus is reigning in their expectations, saying here, don't expect immediate gratification or or what you want to always get done. Um, But there's going to be an ordinary way this kingdom of God is going to advance. It's going to be gradual. It might appear insignificant. And then it might just shock everybody and be better than you could ever imagine that it would be. So that's kind of where, he, where I think where he's going with this. But, you know, if you're like me, maybe you're, you're just looking around at your life and you're thinking, uh, you know, Jesus seems to really overpromise and underdeliver sometimes. Um, you know, it doesn't look like he's at work. And that's what Jesus was preparing us for, unmet expectations. You know, it, it gets worse here for us is that we have these sort of unrealistic expectations of Jesus and ourselves wanting instant gratification, eight-minute abs. But we also have this problem in our own hearts of valuing things that are bigger. Bigger is better. My little two-year-old Lily runs around the house saying, bigger is better, bigger is better. All, like, I, I don't, she got it off of a television show. Bigger, better, bigger, better. And, and you know, like, we're all fools for that, the shiny thing, the big thing, the big event. We always, want, we always you know, fall for that, that sort of idea. When I was a football player back in high school, I won't bore you with all these stories, but I'll tell you I was an idiot, you know, like football players, a defensive lineman, and every time they did a play-action pass, I would always go for the running back, and I'd tackle the, the crud out of the running back. And meanwhile, in film, you can see the ball is flying way beyond the secondary, and the guy's catching it. I mean, like, we're, like, or screen passes, they let you go through, like, they block you for one second, they let you go through, and you're just like, I'm going to go get him. 
Meet the quarterback, and then boom, they dump it over your head to the, to the running back, screen pass, and it's a numbers game. They're gonna they're gonna score. It's like, we're just they're suckers. We're like, like God's like doing screen passes on us all the time, and play action passes, and we just run for the side, you know, big shiny things. I, so, and then meanwhile, we're just getting killed and hammered. We're like idiot linemen, right? Um, status and size trick us every time. We all want a great name. We want to be significant. And that's, our, that's even greater of a problem to us than our impatience is. We want to be somebody that's important, okay? If we get more money, oh, you're going to pay me more money in my job? That means I'm going to buy a bigger house, okay? That means I'm going to move to a better neighborhood. That means I'm going to get the right logos on my clothes and my shoes, or my, my wife's going to get the right purse. Um, I'm going to get a boat of the newest gadgets. I've got to prove that I'm somebody. Now, that, that is absolutely 100% true. We all sort of like buy into that and fall into that trap. Now, I will prove that to you because I saw an article on, in August on ESPN.com about Ryan Broyles, former Sooner, who is a wide receiver now for the Detroit Lions. He's been in the NFL three years now. Boomer. Okay. He is making a lot of money. He's a great receiver. What now? Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, yeah, cut. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Maybe, he, maybe good news is, okay, good, the good news is here, the rest of the story, is he's, he and his wife have been living on 60000 a year. So he's well prepared for being released. Okay. He says, you know, any money I make in football, we're going to live 60000 a year. And he's still reportedly driving his Chevy Trailblazer that he drove around right here on this very campus. 2005 Chevy Trailblazer. Now, the story kind of treats him like a freak show, okay? Because, like, every NFL guy is supposed to get the money and get the cars and get all the houses and everything like that. But him not spending big makes him the outlier. You know, like, Trump, Donald Trump, or, you know, everyone knows who this is. Donald Trump, if you, know, if you don't know who Ryan Rolls is, everyone knows Donald Trump. Donald Trump, in his opening speech of his campaign, flatly stated, I'm worth $9 billion. It's sort of his, <laughs> you should be impressed with this. And we actually are. You know, I mean, like, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, he was born with money, but he's, he's accumulated quite a fortune, right? I mean, that's, that is very impressive. Now, we like that story. A lot, some of us resonate with that, but we actually don't like that uh, in, our, in our heart of hearts because we love movies like Rudy, okay? We love the, the story of USA Hockey triumphing over Russia. We love when the brackets come out to pick the upset, in March Madness. We love it when George Mason made the deep run of the tournament. We love that, whether or, not, whether or not you like him or hate him on politics, it's very intriguing that Bill Clinton was a poor boy born in Hope, Arkansas, from a place called Hope, okay, and then became president. Obama, with, with his, a single mother situation, having the wrong skin color to be president, he's an underdog, okay, he captivates us, and he's, he's, he's gotten up to the power, he's significant, and we kind of like that because we want to prove our own selves, our own names that are great. Um, that's why the story of David and Goliath and Cinderella are pretty awesome. And it's really awesome, sorry, John Baber, when Bama loses to Ole Miss. I mean, <laughs> like, we like, like, as a nation, we like that. Uh, Alabama fans excluded. Auburn fans like that, too. Um, OU loves that. We trust in the outwardly impressive idea that bigger is better, but God doesn't operate that way, does He? He often chooses weak things. He chooses foolish things in order to shame the wise. 
He chooses barren people to make into great nations. He chooses slaves and sets them free and says, y'all are going to take over the world. Oh, you don't have an army? No big deal. You're going to march around a city and blow a, blow a horn, and they're going to run from you. Okay, that, that's, that's, that sounds like a great battle plan. It works. Like, everything God does, it, it, it succeeds because he's with you. He's the ultimate power versus the worldly powers. It's not about horses, guns, weapons. It's about God's presence. And so we find in the gospel, it's very hard to believe uh, in, in this Jesus here that, that we, see, we can't see him. We've heard about him in a book. Our professors kind of make fun of that book. Some of them do. We have a church that's often messy. It's kind of embarrassing to us sometimes. It doesn't look easy to believe in, this, this idea of God and, and Jesus when, when things in our world seem to be bigger and better. I tell you, it is really bigger and better when a, if you're a guy, when a girl looks at you and you can tell she's digging you, okay? That feels really good, doesn't it? Girls, the same, same thing. If a guy's looking at you and he's digging your chili, then you know that that feels dadgum good, okay? That seems to be more tangible and bigger and real than than the mustard seed, than the gospel, than this book we can't really understand. Well, that's why Jesus gives us a story about a tiny little seed and a big tree. A little story about a tiny little seed and a big tree, a mustard seed. And what's Jesus' point? He's saying, well, you know, Christianity is like a smart car. It's kind of silly and, and little. That's not what he's saying at all. Not exactly. Uh, he's saying a, a black mustard seed, which you have a picture on your handout, is, which is one millimeter in size of all things. Your hand would gobble it up. Okay, It might get lost in your hand. It's that small. I did some math here. Let me, give you some, uh, let me throw some numbers at you. One mustard seed um, is one millimeter. It's very small, tiny. Well, it would take 750 seeds to equal a gram, the measurement of weight, a gram. And there are 454 grams in a pound. Typical person in our, in our rooms, five feet-ish, weighs 150 pounds-ish. Uh, so generic person, A, 150 pounds-ish. Uh, you know how many like, mustard seeds it would take to equal a 150 pounds-ish person? 51 million mustard seeds, okay? If you did the math, you, can, you, you engineers, people could, could take all the conversion factors and make it work. 51 million black mustard seeds to equal this, the weight of a person your size. That is tiny. That is very insignificant. But you know what? That black mustard seed, that tiny little thing, when it germinates five days later, you know how tall it is? 10 to 15 feet tall. It's pretty amazing. Quite a lot of growth from tiny, 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 the, the, just the proverbial tiny seed into a tree that is 10 to 15 feet tall, which scared little birdies can come and live in and eat from and survive the storms in. That's a big deal. So all of that comes out of a seed which is one 51 millionth of you, very small people, as insignificant and as unexpected 
as that is, the gospel of Christianity is even more unexpected and amazing. And it brings about even greater things than that tree which comes out of a seed. You may think that Breaking Bad is a great story, for instance. You may think that Netflix is worth your time. It might be. Um, you may think that the most important thing is making all A's and getting the internship and finding someone to love you. Those are all very important goals. Um, you may think that is more important than reading your Bible, for instance, praying, doing ministry. Those sort of things seem insignificant a lot of times, but not so fast. We always think big, flashy, thunderous, you know, earth-shaking things are the way to go. But Jesus is saying ordinary, insignificant things are very important as well and can, in the end, outstrip the very, very, um, very exciting things that we look to um, to thrill us. Like the, the old tortoise and the hare, hare story, right? The turtle and the, the slow turtle. Here comes fa- uh, fast bunny and the fast bunny is beaten by the turtle. Well, Jesus is saying the gospel and the kingdom are going to outstrip your exciting, wonderful things. Um, so Jesus here... Let's look at Jesus. Uh, was he exciting? I mean, he did miracles, yes, but he was mostly kind of boring, right? He prayed a lot, not exciting. He preached a lot, definitely not exciting. Um, he ate dinner with people a lot. We see that in the, in the Gospels. He fished. I mean, just a normal dude. He got a job as a carpenter, okay? He had no palace, no horses. He was homeless most of his life. And his followers sort of abandoned him at the end. Uh, Nothing about him that we should think, well, he had this exemplary life, right? Um, There were some miracles, but then again, most of the time, it's pretty ordinary. Um, He started out as a baby in a manger. He was uh, born in a cattle stall. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He couldn't feed himself. Um, He had to have a person wipe the poo-poo off his bottom. Okay, (laughs) That ha- I mean, like, he's real, real baby, okay? He's a real person, ordinary person, okay? I'm, I'm used to that kind of thing. That's real for me, maybe not for you. But, I mean, if, he, if his mother didn't do that for him or his father didn't do that for him, he would get a rash infection and die, okay? He was utterly dependent upon someone to wipe his bottom for him, okay? That's pretty humble. That's pretty insignificant. He had to be burped and rocked to sleep when he got fussy, Uh, He had zero power. Okay, that's very insignificant. Uh, His life, you know, not many insiders followed him, religious or government or anybody like that. A lot of people didn't didn't really they weren't drawn to him. His death, I mean, let's go let's go full circle. Uh, It went right back to where he started. No power. Uh, He was scourged. He was led captive outside of the city. He was stripped naked. He was nailed to a cross. He was trash-talked by criminals, uh, by soldiers, by commoners. Uh, He suffered an intensely brutal death by crucifixion. He was speared and then taken off that cross, lifeless and placed in a borrowed tomb. And then he was locked away by a big stone and guarded, uh, dead and buried. He'd given away all of his power to... uh, to all of his father's will and to do all that. And he did all that, um, and he died, looking like a huge failure. Very insignificant. 
um, son of a carpenter, never to be heard from again, locked in a tomb, like so many other would-be messiahs out there, forgotten by history. Um, if there ever was a mustard seed kind of guy, it was Jesus. Buried mustard seed. But three days later, the story goes, the son of the carpenter rose up, and it turns out he was really the son of God. The buried mustard seed, just like the buried mustard seed, boom, he sprouts, and he's the 10-foot-tall uh, refuge for scared birds. Okay? Why was that the story? Why was that the way it needed to be? Why did Jesus have to be that sort of underdog story? It's, it's really, really the, the deal with us is that no matter what we accomplish, nothing brings us to God. There's nothing about us that is salvageable, unfortunately. There are no tweaks we can make, no patches, no modifications to us, no updates for the bugs of our hearts. There is zero that can solve our own problem. True religion is not a to-do list from God where you can save yourself and become somebody significant. No, it's that Jesus became a mustard seed, insignificant, small, and shamed because one thing, you're great to him. You are significant. You are the significant one to the Father. He became the insignificant small because he loves his people. In the very center of his heart, there's a, it's for the joy of his own heart that he laid down his life for you. That's what Hebrews 12.2 says, if you look that up. And that is the message, that is the story, that is the spark that it can ignite the flame in you and ignite the whole world. It can change the world. It will. And I may be crazy, you may think I'm crazy, but, but a greater gift than the gifts of LeBron James and his basketball plan is the gift you have every morning when you wake up and you spend that time praying, reading your word, communing with God. That is a gift far more precious and bears more fruit and more significance than you could ever imagine. I know it to be true, and I know you know it to be true. Yet we often run away from that. We think, oh, this, what, what I really need is a boyfriend. What I really need is a girlfriend. What I really need is that job. What I really need is better grades. And I will, I will give up on ministry. I'll give up on God. I'll run from him. So the fight, you guys, is for the insignificant. It's for the normal. It's for the everyday. You don't need big and flashy. You need time, humble time with him. That's what you need. You don't need power and speed. You need the regular, ordinary stuff that God gave you. His word, prayer, time, listening to one another. And God moves through that in ways you wouldn't believe and brings about great blessings and builds a tree. And you're in that. That is it. Through faith, you can be a part of that. There is no sin that can separate you from his love anymore. Because Jesus paid everything you ever did. And it is done. It is finished. And the great and glorious kingdom is being built. And there's still room in it. There's still room in the tree. There's still room in it for you and for your friends. So I, I call you to go and fight for your friends. Go and fight for If you're a believer here, fight for your friends. Fight for those you love. 
pray for them, be patient with them, be kind to them, share the truth with them. Don't expect them to have it all together. We want babies in here in RUF. We want this to be a place where people are just getting it. We want people who, who do not have it all together. And we want to walk with them and be friends with them and be kind to them and show them Christ, show them grace. Fight for that. Fight for that normal every day. Make that a plan for that, if you will. Plan that into your life. Don't be a procrastinator with the kingdom of God because you'll never get to it. The tyranny of the urgent will get to you. You have to plan for this. You have to make it a priority. Don't let this pass by you today. If you're an outsider of this, don't let that be any longer. Make it your prayer. If you've had a hard time trusting Jesus, if you had a hard time and you really haven't gotten it, you really feel like you found significance in other things, pray that he would confess that to him out of your heart. Ask God to give you more faith to believe the gospel. And that's a prayer that he will answer. That's a prayer he loves to answer. Jesus, that crushed mustard seed for you to make you a part of this very unlikely tree, that's a prayer God would love to answer. So are you planning or are you, are you procrastinating? Where are you? I pray that, it is, that you are planning. Let's, let's pray together and we'll sing another song. Lord God, we didn't plan it this way. We didn't plan our failure. We didn't plan our selfishness. We didn't plan our, our lust for significance. We didn't plan our rebellion from you. Uh, but we find ourselves wrapped up in it, struggling and hurt and broken by it, broken by the ways other people have used us, hurt us, and abused us because they're running from you just like we are. We find ourselves desperately desiring you. Would you, Lord Jesus, draw us to the Father, draw us to the warmth and compassion that the Father's heart holds for us. Help us to find joy in the everyday, hearing your promises back at us that we are more sinful than we ever know, but we're more loved than we can ever imagine. Those, sort, those simple things that your word teaches, those very ordinary promises, but they're, they're so amazing and significant. Would those things well up within us, internalize within us, and, and move us and change our world, change those around us. Would you transform the campus and the world and bring people into this tree, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.